So anyway, I, I want to talk. I've been talking, and I never know what's going to happen when I get up in the pulpit. So uh, the Holy Spirit's doing something quite different these days. How many know we're living in a different day? And if you've got different challenges, God wants to do different things in us. So, you know, you need to be open to him in your personal life for God to do really different kind of things. And this is, how many know it's a day to get closer to the Lord? Uh, it's really a, 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 a day to tune in and horn in and figure out, you know, how to relate to him more fully because of the challenges of the day and the strangeness of the day. I found that God's presence and power are stronger now than they've ever been. And it's going to get stronger. How many hear what I'm saying? And uh, he wants to do that in each of us. So I've been doing a series when I can get to it. And uh, again, sometimes we have Holy Spirit manifestations. I call it HSM to my staff team. That means when we're in a service and we're doing what we do in the Holy Spirit manifest, we just throw all our plans aside. So for instance, we didn't take up an offering. We didn't give announcements or anything first service. We just went with it. And, uh, and the Lord ministers. So, you know, we do different things. But I have been on a series when the Lord lets me, and I want to finish this series if he lets me. And it's called Faith Till the End, and this is actually lesson number five. And I just want to talk to you about walking with God by faith. If we're going to uh, overcome the challenges as the world changes, let me set the parameters that I believe very strongly. I think Jesus could be coming back in our lifetime. How many think that could be true? If you know anything about the Bible and you know what Jesus said and the prophets of the Old and New Testament said about the second coming of Christ, we're really ripe for that to happen right now. A real big signpost, for instance, was when Israel became a nation in 1948 for the first time since the first century, 70 AD. They were pushed off of their land by a Roman emperor named Titus and, uh, and the land was completely cleansed. Uh, of, uh, of, of Israel. In fact, they didn't even want to call it Israel. They wanted to call it Palestinian. And uh, all of the Jews were pushed off by 135 AD. They were gone. And uncannily, the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied over and over again. I found over uh, 30 references in the Old Testament by varying prophets that said that before the Messiah, that is Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, and he's also our Savior as Christians, before he returns, the Jews who had been scattered, it's called the diaspora, they were scattered over all the world because of their unbelief and because of their sin against their God. Uh, the, the, the prophet said that they would actually come back and inhabit their land. And uh, Israel literally became a desert place. Mark Twain, in his writings about, uh, about Israel, man, he said some terrible things. He said, you can't hardly grow anything. On this land, it's, it's a bereft, barren place. And, but the scripture says the desert would blossom as a rose since 1948. Uh, the industrial production and the agricultural production in Israel is uncanny. 1967, Israel uh, actually regained occupation of Jerusalem, control of Jerusalem for the first time since the first century. I don't, know what you, I don't know how impactful you think that may be. That's very impactful. That tells us that Jesus Christ is coming back. So how many years is that? 70 years or so uh, since, uh, since Israel became a nation. I'm just saying that so many things are occurring. Then the Bible reveals the fact that the world would eventually foment into a, a one-world ideology where there's a group of people that want to govern the world towards breaking down national barriers, um, doing away with their own their, their histories of the various people groups in various nations, doing away with their own laws 
and, and, and coming together and combining themselves with the rest of the world under one, under, under one unifying body, politic, if you want to call it that way. And the Bible doesn't really use the term Antichrist, but I think it's in 1 John. But he's called the man of sin. He's talking about a ruler that will emerge, looks like in the Middle East, that will oversee a conglomerate of nations and really seek to defy anything Christian, anything Jewish, anything that has any moral connection to anybody, wants to do away with it completely. And, and you see that happening in America right now. Have you noticed what they're trying to do to our children in school and just the mindset of the people in America, uh, you know, the things that are being pushed uh, by, by people that are supposedly in charge. It just tells us that we're quickly approaching uh, a finality, and that is um, this person the Bible calls Antichrist rising to power and uh, the nations of earth changing in some really crazy ways. And, you know, since 2020, with the advent of COVID, you know how things have changed. That's, that's history. So I'm just telling you, we're living in a different time. And if you know the Bible well, I taught the whole book of Revelation. It took me two years on Wednesday nights. I didn't do it every Wednesday night, but about 38 hour, eight hours of teaching. Teaching that really sobered me, woke me up. It made me study deeply. And, and I saw that the time that Jesus is coming back in, that time will be a time of judgment. It won't be a nice time. It'll be a challenging time. And in world history, a dark time. So, you know, it's really weird to say we're going into a dark place, and we are. And the uh, prophet Isaiah talked about it. Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth. And it looks like he was prophesying about the time just before the Messiah returns. Isaiah 60, verse 2. This is not in the notes. We'll get the notes in a minute. Darkness will cover the earth. And then it says deep or gross darkness, the people. And, and that gives a, a, a light towards um, uh, immorality par none worldwide. There a, a, a lack of moral restraints. The, anything goes. If you want to do it, feel good. There are, there are no laws that say, say you can't do and be what you want to do in being friends. If you don't have some kind of restraints on the sinful flesh of human beings, and even the word sin is being sanitized away from cultures worldwide. You hear me? So if, if, you, if you think that the humanity is just good, they're teaching our kids in school that, that children, man, you just, man, when you're born, you're born with spark of life in you. Well, you are alive, but you're also alive under sin. The Bible doesn't say we're wonderful people becoming more wonderful. It says we're nasty people going to get nastier unless Jesus comes and enters your life. Yeah, that's popular, isn't it? Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jesus said from the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, murders, thefts, fornications, adulteries, promiscuity, all kinds of nasty talk, vileness. Why did he say that? Because the, because the human heart is wicked. That is, the spirit of man is separated from God because the Bible says the first man and woman were Adam and Eve. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't evolve from a, a little, little creepy amoeba that somehow grew out of the ocean and formed feet and legs and suddenly he started walking upright. No, 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 no. God created us in his image. And he put something of him in us. He put a spirit nature in us. We have a desire for something beyond us, a person that we can't see, that we can't feel. There's a God void. The philosophers have said for many generations, there's a God void in every life. 
And how many feel, you feel that. Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. There's a void. There was a void in me. I tried to fill it with sex, drugs, rock and roll crap. I mean, just you name it, man. Just stuff. But when you come to meet Jesus, the only thing that can meet that void and, and, and fill that void up is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. How many hear me? So, so Jesus is coming back and the world is going into a darkness covers the earth, gross darkness, the people, but the Lord will arise over you. Isaiah 60 verse 3 says, and his glory will be seen upon you. So, so we, we can expect two things to happen. The world's going negative, but God's going positive with us. And it's going to walk camp you're in. If you, if you don't walk with God and you want to do your own thing, it's going to get pretty nasty. I mean, seriously, uh, in lots of ways, uh, financially, morally, uh, not a great place to raise children. But see, God will keep you if you know him, and he'll make a way for you. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said God will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, that's talking about impossible situations that God intervenes in. How many think he can do that in your life? So I just said all that to say we're living in a really crazy time. And from what I can see from the scriptural perspective, it's just going to get crazier. But see, we don't have to hang our head down and go, oh, my Lord, what am I going to do? Because God's given us a solution. It's walking by faith. Everybody say it out loud. Walking by faith is the solution to the darkness that is coming. Now, walking by faith, the word, the, the Bible uses the term walking in the New Testament a number of, number of times. The Greek word literally means to do something 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That means it's a lifestyle. So the Bible says we're to walk in love. Uh, we're to walk in righteousness, which walk in holiness and purity. We're to walk by faith. That means 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's the way we're supposed to live and conduct our lives. So seven days a week, 24 hours a day, nonstop, the thing that will help us overcome when the junk hits the fan, so to speak, is a faith. First John 5, 4 says this, every child of God defeats the evil world and that we achieve this victory through our faith. Uh, the Passion Translation is really good, clear of that verse, First John 5, 4. You see, every child of God overcomes the world for our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. And when the Bible uses the term world, it's talking about all of the pressures of the culture around you, the pressures of the society around you that are trying to squeeze your life and get you to conform to something from the outside. But what Jesus wants to do is transform us from the inside out. We don't live from the outside in. So when these forces come, we got something inside that says, it just buoys up inside. And I'm not gonna let that bother me. I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to do his will. You hear what I'm saying? The Bible calls that F-A-I-T-H, faith. So living by faith is what I'm wanting to talk about. Now, what I'm about to get into, we're going to get into the thick of one idea of walking by faith that can literally revolutionize your life. So if you are challenged with worry and fear, and you wonder what's going to happen tomorrow, what, how things are going to go in your life, or are you just afraid of a lot of things, or you are a worry wart. You know what that is, right? I, I used to be one. I know them very well. And uh, uh, you can overcome worry and really reach the point that you live a, 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 peace, a peaceful life. I, I guess I could use the term peaceful, and actually you can be full of, of joy, uh, joy is different than happiness. Happiness has to do with outward things. Joy has to do with things on the inside. And you know what I found out? Things can be falling apart all around you, but you've got joy inside. 
It just works. I know it sounds strange, but it really works that way. So what I'm about to say is not for a person that's got one foot and they want to walk with God over here and they've got another foot over here and, and they're just kind of wanting to f- do some flesh stuff just, to, just like everybody else is doing. If you're doing that, what I'm talking about w- will not work. It, it just won't. So, so the first step in living a life of faith is giving a life to Jesus. You get that? How many understand that? That's principle. So that's the vantage point I'm coming up from. So what I mean by giving your life to Jesus, you give up your right to live your life outside of God's way that he has for you through his word. Right? Right? Oh, I want to make sure y'all are awake. I, uh, I come across this verse yesterday, and actually while I was studying, I copy-pasted it into my notes, and then I copy and pasted it on the, onto my Facebook page. So Matthew 10, 35, Passion Translation, Jesus said it this way, because of me a son will turn against his father, a daughter her mother and her against her mother-in-law. Within your own families, you'll find enemies. Now, why do you say that? Because when you give your life to Jesus, the ideology and the way people think and the mindset they have about addressing life and addressing relationships and all of the things that go with living life, it changes. The standards change. And when the standards change, it causes friction. I thought when I came to Jesus, you know, God was going to give me a peaceful life. You know, what I found was uh, I was going downstream in life. And and then it's like I was in a canoe and Jesus got in it with me. He turned the thing around and I'm going backstream. I'm going against everybody else. And it feels like I'm in a canoe of chicken wire. I'm about to fail all the time. Because I'm, I'm backwards of everything else I've ever been and everything else I've ever known. But I've got peace and I've got joy and I've got answers. And life is exciting. And y'all are so excited today. I'm so glad. So Jesus went on to say, whoever loves father or mother or son or daughter more than me is not fit to be my disciple. What's he saying? If you've got to have a smile from mama, daddy, and they're not walking with God, then they're wanting you to do things you know is wrong. If you've got to have that more than a walk with God, he says, you're not worthy of me. And then if you've got friends that you've had like me, I had some of my friends since age three. Before I even started kindergarten, I had to say, you know what? I like you. I love you, man. I've been with you. <laughs> we brothers. We brothers. But I just can't do this anymore because I'm not going to smoke weed anymore. And I'm not going to pop the pills we've been popping together. And I'm not going to lust. I don't want to lust the way we've lusted. And I don't want to do that stuff. I don't want to cuss anymore. Something's in me is changing me. It's not against you. It's me. Something's changed in me. So I tried to hang out with him, but Jesus made a change. That's what he's saying here. And whoever comes to me must follow in my footsteps and be willing to share my cross and experience it as his own or he cannot be considered to be my disciple. We read the Bible, you just don't understand. You know, when the Bible talks about the cross, if you lived in first century under Roman rule, a cross was a barbaric form of capital punishment. And only the worst of the worst criminals... Were, were, were tied to a cross. Actually, they put nails in their hands and feet. It was a barbaric form of death. You died by asphyxiation. That, that is, you got nails in your feet. They put them together. You got your hands out like this, and they just put the nails to where every time you just try to push up to get some breath, and then your, your hands are holding you there, and there's spikes in your hands. It hurts like crap. It hurts crazy bad. <laughs> I mean, just to live, just to breathe is misery. Then you got gnats and bugs and mess and birds. And man, they're messing with your flesh. 
So you know what, first century person, when you said the word cross, nobody likes cross. Nobody wants to think about a cross. You don't even go by the place in town where the Romans crucify people because it's so nasty, it's so barbaric, it's so stinky and smelly and vulgar and unappealing. And then Jesus comes and he dies on a cross and he knows he's going there. And he tells his disciples, dudes, you got to think about what you don't want to think about. I want you to take up the cross. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, you got to make an absolute unreserved commitment to me that everybody else thinks is crazy, but you got to be walking with me, be willing to walk with me to the death. And you got to be willing to put out of your life the distractions, the mess. How many hear what I'm saying? That is not popular in America today to, t- to preach that from a church pulpit. That's not, but that's truth. And that's, that's really freedom. So Jesus said, verse 39, all who seek to live apart from me will lose it all. But those who let go of their lives, listen, those who let go of their lives for my sake and surrender it all to me will discover true life. You know, uh, I've got all these stories, but you know, for me, I did drugs my teenage years and had lots of friends and you know, we enjoyed each other, enjoyed each other's company and stuff. And, you know, just, just kind of a way of living. And uh, when, when I came to Jesus, I had to be willing to lay that stuff down. In fact, I had so many albums. We had albums, albums at the time, you know, really vinyl albums. They kind of popularized again. But I had a bunch. Did you know I had to give them all away? I had to change my, I had to be willing to change my music. And that was a big deal. Music's a big deal to a kid, right? It's a big deal to adults today because you got music everywhere. It wasn't streamed then. You had to buy the vinyl albums. They weren't cheap. But you know what I had to do? I had to say, you know what? I don't want that kind of music, you know, blaring those kinds of words into my head, which goes into my heart. I can't have it. I tried to listen to it a little bit. Said so something ain't right here. This is oil and water. It doesn't mix. I gave, I gave my albums away. I did. Why? Those who let go of their lives for my sake and surrender it all to me will discover true life. A little girl I was in love with one time, it's not this wonderful lady right here that I've been married to 43 years. I was dating her one time before I knew Jesus. And after I met Jesus, I thought she was the prettiest thing on two feet. And she come up in her nice little car and found me. She found where I was in the city and drove up and rolled her window down. Well, and it went down. And she said, Mitch. And she batted her eyes. <laughs> and she said, man, I want to date you again. And my flesh said, I want you so bad. But my heart said, I mean, I was shocked. I pointed my finger. I said, you know, and I called her name. As long as I live, I will never date you again. And she looked at me, batted her eyes, and one tear went down here, and the other tear went down here on this side of the face. And I have never seen her again. She would have led me away from God. Right? 
I say that because, you know, these relationship kind of things, boy, they're strong, right? They'll make you go places you never thought you'd go, do things you never thought you'd do, spend money you never thought you'd spend. Is that true? But if it's a sinful relationship, it'll ruin your life. And sometimes you can never get over it. And I knew right then, if I'm going to walk with Jesus, I got to kiss that one goodbye. Bye. And never look back. And, and God gave me this lady right here. Forty-three years later, four children, eight grandchildren, and a good life. I'm just hanging out. I don't have to preach anything in my notes. I'm just telling you, God's after you. And if you've got compromise in your life today, you are going to lose in the future. The very things you compromise to keep, you will lose 100%. So I've, com- I've committed my, my finances to Jesus. I've committed my relationships to Jesus. I've committed my marriage to Jesus. I've committed my body to him. Does my body want to sin? Just every day. But I just have to keep telling it, do take a hike. No, no. I don't want it. It's not worth it. I gave it up. I hung it on a cross. I, just, I may be despised, but I'm happy despised. You hear me? I don't know who I'm talking to. This is really strong words, but you need to hear it. And uh, God's got great plans for your life. Now, I'm talking about faith. I'm going to jump. I've got eight points I'm covering about faith, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to jump right to it. Because there's one segment, some, some of us, you need to make a commitment to Jesus. The sooner the better, the sooner the better. I had a, I got a, before I go where I'm going next, I got to say this. I had a friend, uh, he was a twin. I knew him before we, we were in church together in a Southern Baptist church. He was red-haired, freckle-faced, and they were twin. You couldn't tell them apart. You know, one was Glenn, the other one was Gwen. And you can't tell them apart. I think I'm talking to Gwen, I'm talking to Glenn. And then they'd pick on you. And they'd say things, and you, talk, you think you're talking to them, you're talking to the brother. Yeah, crazy guys, but they were my friends. And I loved Glenn and Gwen. They were good guys, you know. So we started out life together and uh, school together and all that, and went to church together and all, you know, just did all kind of stuff together. I came to Jesus, and Glenn would come into where I worked. And, uh, and I'd get to tell you, Glenn, which, and I was going to school, going to college, and, and, uh, and I'd made Jesus Lord in 1976. I know it dates me. But this is like 1977, 1978, mm, 1979. Yeah, and I got married later in 1979 to Susan. So I'm, in, I'm going to college to be electronics engineer. And, and, uh, and, and then Glenn's coming to where I work. I work at a grocery store, you know, to help pay my way through school and all that. And he comes up on my, I say, Glenn, man, good to see you. How you doing, guy? Good to see you, bro. What's going on? And we talk a little bit. He tells me this and that. And finally, I end up, every time I see him, and I see him, you know, probably believe several times a month, honestly. And every time I would finish talking to each other, I say, Glenn, man, hey, you know, I made, I made Jesus. I, I have a life transformation. Jesus Christ changed my life. I, I really gave my life. And we had both been to church all our life. So we don't know all the churchy stuff. We know all the phrases. We know the Bible, but we don't live it. A lot of people know, but don't live. Well, that's us. And so uh, I said, dude, man, you need to give your life to Jesus like I did. 
but, and he said, Mitch, don't worry about me. He said it every time. Mitch, don't worry about me. And he said this, I'm not going to hell. I got plenty of time. Uh, I'm going to get right with God one day, but I'm not, just not ready yet. He said, okay, Glenn, don't, don't wait. And I say, don't wait. You're not promised tomorrow if you don't know the Lord. God's promise for Christians, he'll protect you, but not if you're not walking with God. And he, you know, we had that conversation. Uh, we'd say, bye, you know, good to see you, bro. You know, we'd walk on, walk our way. He'd come back. We'd do the same thing over and over again. And he kept saying, I'm not going, Mitch, I'm not going to hell. He said it. I'm going to get saved, is with the phrases we used, but I'm just not ready yet. And I said, please don't wait, man. Listen, let me tell you what happened. He was working at a gas station, and um, this was 19, June of 1979. Was it 79? Yeah, because we were married. No, it had to be 80. 1980, we were already married. He was working at a gas station and, uh, you know, had this little plexiglass stuff where nobody can get to him and touch him and all. And you had to put your money through this little thing at the bottom, you know what I'm talking about, silver. And uh, so everybody's shoving him the credit card or the money or whatever. And, and a guy, a guy got a gun and he wanted all the money and he angled the gun and shot it at the little thing where you put the money and the bullet ricocheted, hit him right in the temple, killed him instantly. Y'all, that was a hard funeral to go to. Because all I could hear was my friend Glenn say, I'm not going to hell, Mitch. And I have no knowledge of him ever making that change. I hope he's in heaven, but my heart is heavy. It's been 40-something years. If you haven't made a change yet and you're still dilly-dallying with the stuff, you shouldn't be. And maybe you're in church. I don't know. Maybe you're not. That doesn't matter. Get right with God while you have time. You hear me? Anyway, that was free. I didn't mean to say all that. I don't know why I said it. But anyway, so I'm talking about faith here. Now, I want to change the subject here. I'm talking about faith, eight things that that we need to know about walking by faith. Faith is a gift. We talked about that one week. It's a gift that comes from the Lord to you. It's deposited in you, and then you do some things to help it to grow. Secondly, everything that we need actually exists spiritually and then physically. And the worlds were framed by God's word. The things that we see were not made of things that are visible. That's what Hebrews 11.3 says. We spent a whole week on that. Um, and then we talked about the importance of God's word and, and really getting God's word. Faith and the word of God go hand in hand. You, if, you, if you don't have the word of God inside of you, you don't have any faith inside of you. Faith is not separate from the Bible. Faith comes from the Bible. In fact, Hebrews 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. And we talked about that in great detail. To, to have a, a, a really workable faith in God, you got to believe in your own words. You know how words are meaningless today? A lot of people are lying now. A lot of the things you hear, they have twists on them and turns on them. And you can't half believe most of what you hear today. Is that true or not? See, that becomes a mindset. And then to add insult to injury, if you say things just to say them, just to, just to satisfy somebody and it's not true, you don't even believe your own words. If you don't believe your own words, how can you believe God's word? unconsciously. I had to go through all this as a kid. A kid being, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21. I had to go through a transformation to where I actually 
stop saying things I didn't believe. And I want to encourage you. If you say things that you don't believe, stop saying them. Why on earth are you saying what you don't believe? Why are you saying things that are not true? It'll sabotage your faith in God. Does that make sense? Clean it up. So we talked about that one week. And, um, and, and then right on the heels of that, I've also found that you can have faith in one area and not faith in another area. Faith is, you know, fluid. You, you need faith for, for, for God to, you know, help you physically, healing. You need faith in God to help you financially, faith for circumstances, faith for relationships. And it all comes differently. How many hear me? I had, uh, in my young years, and I'm not going to spend much time on this, in my young years, I I learned to have great faith in God to heal me physically because I was afraid I was going to die as a kid. And I spent a lot of time when I found out God wanted me to be well and live a long life because I thought I was going to die as a teenager. Somebody told me I was, and I believed them. And, and once I overcame that, here I am. I'm not quite a kid right now. You may think I act like one, but I'm not a kid physically. Nonetheless, you know, you, you can have faith in one area, not in another. And I, had, I found I could easily believe God for healing my physical body, but I struggled with finances. And God went, sent me through something to help me with that. Today, I'm going to come right to the chase here, cut to the chase. Here's one um, uh, attitude of faith that separates the men from the boys the mice from the men, yada, yada. And this is it. And, and this can transform your life. So listen up if you have problems worrying, if you're challenged with fear, you wonder what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, next year. Listen up. Uh, faith is never future. Faith believes that God has done something or is doing it right now. How many hear what I just said? And that, that really is, that is how faith works. The, the, the timing of faith is you believe that God's doing something right now. You're not looking for him to do it one day. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the very last verse of that chapter says, now, and you've heard this, now abides faith, hope, and love. Y'all heard that before? And the greatest of these is love. Well, we know that, but, but there's two other ingredients beyond uh, love, which is hope. And faith, hope is like a blueprint. We've got blueprints on that building out there we're building, about 7,500 square feet worth. And, and those blueprints are there. And the blueprints are, are, are a goal that we want to obtain one day. They're not, they're not the building itself, but they're, but they're that which precedes the building. Without the blueprint, we'd never have the building. And without hope, you'll never get very far in life. How many hear me? You got to hope that things get better. You hope that your finances will increase. You hope that your circumstances will change. You hope that this person you just married, you're going to have a good life and have healthy kids and grandkids, right? You hope for a thousand and one things. See, without hope, you're despondent, you're depressed. And that's where a lot of people are today. They're wringing their hands going, I just going to give up with life. No, 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 no. God will make a way for you. The Bible, the first thing it gives you is hope. Hebrews says hope is like an anchor. You put an anchor down in the water on your boat and it keeps it from moving around when the waves are moving and the wake's coming from the other boats. You stick that anchor in the water, you ain't going anywhere for a while. And that's what hope does to your mind. It solidifies you. It settles you. And it lets you know that those things are a certain way. It can be better. It's not the proof that it will be better, but it gives you a vision for the future that's not what you have right now. How many get that? See, that's hope. And a lot of people, you know what they need? They need hope. I've talked to people, and the whole time I'm talking to them, they're looking down. 
They're upset. They're aggravated. They're frustrated with themselves. Things haven't worked out. People have let them down. Institutions have let them down. Their government has let them down. Yada, yada, yada. And my job, I know what my first goal is. I, I got to get some hope in this person. Things can turn around. Things can be different. Things don't have to be the way they have been. You can do better. You can get better. One thing the enemy, the devil, wants to do is want us to take away your hope and make you feel hopeless. And hopeless people do terrible things. Hopeless people commit suicide. Hopeless people take drugs until they ruin their bodies. Hopeless people have sex until they got diseases they can't get rid of. Do you hear what I'm saying? Hopeless people look at pornography because they're so aggravated with everything uh, until their mind doesn't work straight anymore. Hope. You got to have hope. So, for hope, hope. But hope is not the end in and of itself. Faith does something with hope. Take, faith takes the desires of hope and brings them to right where you're living right today. And faith acts like what you're hoping for is in your life right now. And it has been a boon and a boost in my life. And, you know, I was a, I was, I was a, a very um, astute worrier in my teenage years. I could worry, man. I, you give me a subject, I'll worry over that thing. Worried over my health, worried over my relationships, worried over my girlfriend, worried over my friends, worried over my drugs because I thought I'd get caught. I was paranoid about it. I was just worried, 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 worried. When it came to Jesus, I had to be willing to give my worry away. And when you get faith, it dissolves worry. Did you hear me? And, and, and faith takes hope. Question, do you have any hope in your life? What you hoping for? You want to get better? Want to do better? Want to make more money? Want your business to work? You want to be healed of that malady, that thing that has attached itself to your body? You've been to the doctor and said, well, you got to live with that. Here's some, here's some pills. Take that. You want to get over it? Huh? You got children? You want your children to do well? You want them to grow? You want their minds to be clear? You want their relationships to be good? See, there's a, do you have hope? How many have hope? Raise your hand. I want to know you're awake. And, oh, good, we got a lot of people in the room. That's awesome. So here's how, to, here's how what you do with hope. Hope has its place, but hope can't take the place of faith. And if you try to get it to take the place of faith, it doesn't work right. Right? So what does faith do? Take, faith grabs your hope, the blueprint, and says, I'm going to believe I got you right now. And I'm going to act and talk and think as though God has already answered my prayers. And you know what that does? It gets rid of worry. So let me show you, let me show you how this works. So I've got two scriptures we're going to look at, and then we'll talk about them a little bit. Uh, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is. Everybody say, now faith is. See, that's the timing of faith. Now faith is the substance. And I took these words apart some weeks ago, so I'm not going back over that again today. Of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, another New Living Translation says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. So again, now faith is. Somebody said, and I've been thinking this way for decades, if it's not now, it's not faith. It's hope. Hope is a good blueprint, but hope is a poor receiver from God. In fact, if all you do is live in hope, you're not going to receive what you want probably. It can't take place of, hope, uh, of faith. Uh, hope, hope complements faith, but faith grasps hope, which is looking to the future and brings it to right now. Does that make sense? Now, Jesus uh, talked about faith in a different vein and way 
And I talked about this a few weeks ago, but I want to look at one, one scripture. It's Mark chapter 11, verse 24. And I've got a bunch of different translations to help you understand what he said. And Jesus here is talking about the timing of faith. You've got to believe that God has done or is doing something right now. Not one day in the future, but now for it to work. And this is for answered prayer. So if you've been praying and you want prayers answered, if we want prayers answered, we've got to believe that God's doing it right now. So uh, here it is, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, now here's, here's, the, here's the phrase, believe that you receive them and you will have them. That is, when you pray, before you get it, act like you've got it, and Jesus said, you'll get it. Let me say that again. It's kind of a rhyme. <laughs> when you pray, act like you've got it before you get it. That means before you can see it, before you can feel it. And he said, you'll get it. It's pretty cool. Listen to uh, several translations. That was New King James. How about New Living? I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it, that thing you prayed for, will be yours. So again, it's past tense, right? You got to believe you got it now, not, not going to get it one day in the future. And that's where people mess up. Well, I hope, I'm hoping, how many t- thousands of times have you heard this? Well, I'm hoping and praying. Well, I'm hoping. And, well, if you're hoping and praying, probably won't happen. Let me say that again. If you're hoping and praying, it probably won't happen. That went over so big, y'all are so excited. Mark eleven twenty four. God's word translation, it really is. It's God's word. That's the translation, strange. That's why I tell you to have faith that you have already received whatever you pray for, and it will be yours. Mark eleven twenty four. New Century Version. So I tell you to believe that you receive the things you've asked for in prayer. See, that's talking in the past tense. I tell you to believe that you have received the things you've asked for in prayer, and God will give it to you. Um, Bible in basic English. Uh, this seems really clear. For this reason, I say to you, whatever you make a request for in prayer, have faith that it has been given to you. Wow. And, and, it'll, uh, and you'll have it. So, you know, for me, let's, let me put it in the practical. So um, uh, this building, now, you know, we started this process uh, February 2018, and my hope said, we're going to have that thing done October 2020. Guess what? <laughs> it's August 1, 2022, and it ain't done. Guess what? I've been aggravated. And so I've had to exercise faith. And I said, Lord, we've got a blueprint. Here's what they're going to do with the building. And the whole exterior of our property has been refurbished and renovated. And we're just looking better But see, I've had to keep myself in faith and say, Father, I ask you in Jesus' name that all of the vendors would finish their work, that all of the materials would would creep their way to this property and be put up where they need to be. Everything done, everything finished. And I've gone into detail with the walls and the floors and the ceilings and the electrical work and the plumbing and and the exterior work, all of the roads and all of the parking lots and all of the bushes and trees and shrubs and and, and all of the walkway that's going to have to be finished and it's going to be finished. And I said, Father, I ask that it would come to pass and that you would cause it all to synchronize together. And one day I have the, the CO, the certificate of occupancy, I can talk, in my hand in Jesus' name. And see, I prayed that way, so when I think about the building, say it, instead of thinking, when that going to get done? And it messes with me sometimes. Ask my staff, when that going to get done? When that going to happen? Ain't never going to happen. These people stupid. Ain't nothing going right. I have to go back over and say, God, you said. 
You said, this is the confidence I have in you, that if I ask anything according to your will, you hear me. And if I know you hear me, whatever I ask you, I know I have what I ask for. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Lord Jesus said in John 15, 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. See, that's my faith. So I say, Lord, I want to thank you. I've asked you. Now I have to believe I have it now when it looks like it hasn't happened. So where's those vendors? Where's those subcontractors? Where's, where's those pieces of wood? Where's that flooring? Where's that sheetrock? Where's that ceiling? Where's that rascal? They hadn't been on the job in three weeks. Where's that? Where's that? Father, I just want to thank you that you hear and answer prayer. And I believe I receive. Does that make sense? You got to walk by faith in everything. Let me tell you one story. This is from November of, uh, nine, of uh, what year was this? 1981. It dates me. Susan and I had finished our second Bible school. I was out of the will of God as an associate pastor in my hometown. You remember those wonderful days, Susan? You know, Susan's so sweet. She followed me outright. <sighs> she let me do what she wondered I should do, but she let me. And she, she's a sweet lady. Y'all understand? I have a sweet wife. And she has put up with me so much, but thank you, Susan. Thank you. So we were out of the will of God. And um, so anyway, word come into the church. This, this guy was in the hospital, a friend of one of, the, uh, one of the church members. Now, I'm talking about faith and faith being right now, right? You get it? So I'm trying to give you an illustration of what faith looks like and then what it's not. So watch this. So this guy, we got word this guy was in the hospital, the main hospital in our town, and he had blacked out at work. He worked in Darlington, South Carolina. Y'all ever heard of the Darlington 500? Yeehaw. So he worked in Darlington, and uh, anyway, he was working at a factory, and he just blanked out on the floor, just, I mean, just went unconscious, kaboom. And they rushed him to the hospital, and they did tests, and they found a brain tumor. And the doctor came to him, showed him the chart, said, and he got a brain tumor right there. And his family told me this and said, uh, without surgery, you're going to die. That's what they said to him. This is really serious stuff. You need, you need emergency surgery right now. So, so I got to the hospital. That's the backstory. Got to the hospital, knocked on the door, knock, 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 door shut. And so this guy opens the door. Now, I'm, here's how it happened. Now, I've got a book in my possession, Susan well, one of the Bible schools that we went to, it's a, a book on healing by God's power. By, it's called Christ the Healer by F.F. F. Bosworth. And it's a really good book. I have read that book multitudes of times and preached sermons from that book on, on God's healing power. So anyway, when I opened the door, when he, the guy opened the door, I knock, knock, knock. He opens the door. I say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm Mitch Horton. I'm, I'm with so-and-so church. Uh, he said, man, I am so, I was animated. Y'all was like, I don't know this guy. What's he doing? <laughs> it's so good to see you. Praise God. I said, well, he must be a Christian. Okay. I said, uh, he said, well, come on in. He said, man, and then he did the, he picked up that book, Christ the Healer, F.F. F. Bosworth. Y'all, he'd never seen anything like that in his life. Never heard a sermon on healing or anything, but he got that book. And he said, you know what? God's healing power is only, and, 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 and I thought, this guy's got a problem. This guy's got to see. He thinks that he's going to be healed. And so I kept talking to him. And I knew that he wasn't going to heal, that he was going to die unless he had the surgery. You know how I knew? Because the whole time he's ranting at me about this wonderful book. Faith doesn't come from a book you read one time and got excited about its contents and the anecdotes that it tells about people being receiving healing. Do you understand? 
Faith comes from the word and you got to get seasoned in it. It comes a little bit at a time. How many hear me? And, and you know, if you've never lifted, uh, you know, I'm pretty convinced I can fairly easily lift up, uh, I know my weight, 150 pounds. Right? But if I, if I was 12 years old, half my weight, and I never lifted that much, do you think I could do it? Huh? Uh-uh. I wouldn't lift it off the ground. I might get it up to my ankles and go, Poop. faith is that way. If you've never exercised it in little things, you won't in big things. So here's this guy. And here's what he said. I know God is going to heal me. God is going to heal me. He's all animated. It's like, you need to cool your jets a little bit. That's what I'm thinking. I just look at him. So he, I said, let's have a seat. Have a drink of water. And I started talking to him. I said, you know, the doctor said you got a serious problem here. He said, I know, but this book right here, it said God's healing powers all over me, and I'm going to be healed. I said, you know what I think? Let's have another drink of water. That's what I think. And I said, um, you know, if I were in your shoes, I'd listen to that doctor. And I'd believe that God could direct that doctor and he could take that tumor out of my head. And I'd live. He said, oh, no, I believe God's going to heal me. I said, sir, with all the, you know, love I could muster, I said, sir, I promise you, listen to what I'm saying. I'm a young man. This is 1981. Yeah, I was 23 years old. So listen, my encouragement, have the surgery. He said, oh no, God's going to heal me. Well, I left the hospital kind of forlorn like, I couldn't get through this guy. He's high on that book right there. That was, you know, mid-November. That's like the second week of December I got word that guy had died. You know, he left his family. He left his children. That's sad, isn't it? Why would I tell that when I'm talking about faith? Because he did it wrong. He got the tenses wrong. You know what he said? I'm going to. I knew he was going to fail. I'm going to be healed. He had no clue about faith. If you're sitting here and you think God's going to do something, well, that's great hope. But it's not faith. Because when God has given you something and you believe you receive like Jesus said and you, you believe you've got it right now, you're excited about it. And you're okay. How many hear what I'm saying? But if you're waiting to get it one day, it may never, ever come. That's a hard lesson, isn't it? So my encouragement, if you... Now, that's an extreme story. That was kind of a morbid story, but let's get back on to positive. So you're just believing God to make your house payment or your rent payment because you had an extraordinary bill. Maybe you had a, a car repair you weren't looking for. You had to re replace, like, the air conditioner. And, you know, man, wow, I don't want to pull all my money out of savings and spend on that. Well, you know, ask God to meet the need and then, and then believe right now that he's doing it and thank God until it happens, Right? Or, or you got a you got an ache or a pain, something small, something something ordinary, something that's not life threatening, and ask God to work a miracle in your life in this small thing, right? Right? And don't believe He's going to do it one day. Believe He's doing it right now. So you're going through a hard place at work, and the boss is on everybody's. He's nipping at everybody's heels, and it's aggravating like crazy. So you pray and say, God, work out, smooth out my smooth out my work condition. 
or smooth out the atmosphere of the place, work it out that somehow we can work in harmony because right now it don't look like it's happening. And Lord, I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. So every time you go to work, you're in your car, you're driving to work, and what are you doing? Because you believe you receive it, and I say, Lord, thank you that my work environment is calm, it's peaceable. I thank you that our boss is listening to us, and he's not just this tyrant throw it, pushing this stuff down our throat, forcing us and making the atmosphere weird. Thank you. Thank you that things are working out. Yes? Right? Is that true? Or maybe you have a really uh, wonderful, precious, sweet, but obstinate spouse. And they're acting like in the north end of a southbound mule. Four out of seven days a week. Now, your faith can't change other people, but your faith changes you. Say, Lord, work it out that I can live peaceably with my spouse in Jesus' name and not fly off the handle and say, th- say things I shouldn't say and act in ways I shouldn't act. Lord, help me. Help me. Help us. Help this relationship to improve. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. See, faith takes that and says, right now it's happening. So you say, Lord, thank you for helping my marriage. Thank you for helping peace in my home. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so then just before you slap your spouse, the Holy Spirit says, go make him a cup of coffee. Go make him, go make him a cake. Go give him a piece of pie that's in the refrigerator. Go to Bojangles and let him have a bow tie. Give him a bowberry biscuit. Uh, I don't eat those things, I'm sorry, but you know what I'm talking about. Right? See, see fa- faith will change you. You get it, but you got to believe you got it right now. So what are you worrying about? What are you believing for? What do you need in your life? Faith takes hope and brings it right now. And it's how I live. It's just an amazing life. I have lots of things right now that could aggravate me silly, but see, I've, I've, I've presented them to the Lord in prayer, and I've asked him to work them out. And I don't act like it's going to happen one day. In my mind, he's done it. I don't see it yet. I don't feel it yet, but he's done it. You get that? 